This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. This area is teeming with potential espionage targets. So many people here who have been involved in government, there is a a multitude of vectors by which one might target uh, people and uh, and agencies here. David Sundberg is a new assistant director in charge and has got his work cut out for him. The Washington field office has a broad portfolio of responsibilities. Also on their plate, counterterrorism, cybercrime, white-collar crime, violent crime, even international crimes, all of it requiring partnerships. enforcement agencies will not be as successful as they could be without trust. Read more about it at WTOP.com. Search national security. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. I had a rare opportunity a week or so ago to sit down with an FBI official for a conversation about issues. And this one is with David Sunberg. He's the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office He's only been in the job two months, and I applaud him for taking time to talk with the press about what he faces and what the Bureau faces and what the nation faces. This is a short interview, but I think pretty impactful. So let's get right to it. What is your primary objective, and what are the things that are on top of the list for you right now to do here? Like all field offices in the FBI, the Washington field office has a broad portfolio of responsibilities. But there are some things unique to Washington, D.C. that I'm concerned with all of the time. In the counterterrorism space, the District of Columbia, being the seat of the federal government, is a symbolic uh, target for those who might attack our way of life and, and, and wish to, um, to wish to have a bigger impact from an ideological perspective uh, using violence in furtherance of their beliefs. And uh, because of the unique nature of of Washington, D.C., we are heavily focused on on that, whether it be the individual who uh, is inspired through ideology to commit acts of violence and is not communicating with anybody about it and may have a very short time frame from from radicalization to attack planning to an attack, uh, or it is the deliberately radicalized uh, and well-resourced 
individual or group of individuals who would like to launch an attack against the communities or the government here in Washington, D.C. that could be dramatically impactful. I'm concerned with that every day. In the counterintelligence area, this is, again, a unique place. Uh, all of our federal departments and agencies are here, as well as uh, all of the foreign embassies that we have to the U.S. And there are thousands of current and now retired uh, employees who either have or have held uh, clearances to access classified information, which could make them targets of people who want to unlawfully access classified information who want to steal technology, or who just want to conduct malign influence operations. Uh, and then thirdly, one of the key things for me is our partnerships. Um, the partnerships with other agencies are clear, and we've been doing that for years. Much of the success in the FBI that we have enjoyed over the past two decades, and maybe even longer, has been by building task forces bringing other agencies into one space with us where everyone is sharing information, has the same access, and we, we blend our investigative and operational resources together to have a bigger impact. But the other side of those partnerships is with both what we would term the private sector and with our communities. In the private sector, we, we need businesses and uh, organizations to come forward when, say, they have a cyber attack. Uh, we need them to cooperate with us uh, in helping to attribute the actors of those cyber attacks and learn um, indications of compromise we might pass on to other organizations to protect them uh, and also in furtherance of our investigations to hold those who are committing these acts accountable and to put some, uh, some level of... Um, some reason for them to believe that maybe their actions uh, are going to be harder to get away with. Uh, the community piece is exceptionally important for us. Uh, I started my law enforcement career as a local police officer on patrol uh, in a small uh, city in New Hampshire, and I learned very early the impact of talking to the people in the neighborhoods and stopping in businesses and, and talking, to, uh, talking to members of the community. Uh, law enforcement agencies will not be as successful as they could be without trust, and then trust comes from relationships. So we make a lot of efforts uh, in the FBI, and it's a growing uh, set of efforts across the entire FBI to be available in these com communities, to, to engage with different groups, with neighborhood groups, with school groups, with religious groups, um, so that people recognize that FBI employees, agents, analysts, data scientists, linguists, all of us, we all live in these communities as well. Our, our kids go to these schools. They play on the same sports teams. We, we have the, the same desires for, uh, for positivity in our neighborhoods and communities. And I think we will be much more successful if the people in those communities can understand who the FBI is, to be people like them who are dedicated to protecting these communities. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. I've got a couple of follow-up 
sure. on each of those that you mentioned. Uh, the, the first one, the CT piece. I can remember sitting in this room talking to Carl Gaddis when he was essentially running counterterrorism here. A little bit later, Joshua School upstairs in his office, he was running counterintelligence. Uh, and he mentioned the target, Washington, D.C., as an international target. And he mentioned some of the symbols in Washington that terrorists or others might want to attack. What are those symbols today that they might want to attack? What are what makes uh, what makes for a, a, a target today for these organizations, whether they're terrorist groups or other types of organizations that want to attack Washington? I don't know that those symbols have changed. Uh, I think that we all saw in the attacks on September 11th of 2001 that there was a lot of symbology there, attacking the financial capital of the United States and arguably the world and attacking uh, this seat of democracy here in the district. Um, certainly the, 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 the towers, the Pentagon, um, the, the same symbols remain, you know, the, the capital structures, the monuments here, those things which are built to be the people's house, those things which are built to remind us of uh, our democratic process and, and our form of government, uh, th- those, are, those are things that if, if taken down or damaged or attacked could lend in some people's eyes uh, uh, more gravity to their ideological, dr- ideologically driven attempts uh, to, to take apart our society. On the counterintelligence piece, the U.S. and Russia have never really been on great footing when it comes to relationships since the Cold War ended. Uh, And it's certainly, you know, in a place now where there's a lot of heightened tension here because of the war in Ukraine. Um, And there have been this talk, there's been talk about uh, stepped up efforts on their parts to introduce more people into the area, this region, specifically looking for opportunities to learn things, creating intelligence, I suppose, to pass back to the Kremlin or whatever. Do you get the sense that there is more, this is a a bigger target now for Russia, for China, for, I know China is a huge, has a huge investment here, because I've spoken to some of your, 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 your colleagues in the, in the last couple of years about that, but what about now, Russia and China and their interest here and their, their, their counterintelligence problems they may pose? Certainly within the counterintelligence work we do, those are two of the biggest efforts that we have. Uh, I am sure that uh, nation states, like any uh, organization, choose where to put their resources based on their current environment and what they believe to be uh, most important and impactful. And we certainly uh, are working every day uh, to assess where uh, such efforts might be made. Um, uh, Again, with so many people here who have been involved in government, uh, there is uh, a a multitude of uh, vectors by which one might target uh, people and uh, and agencies here in the district. Uh, And so we, we remain vigilant every day um, in, in working in that space in order to counteract uh, any attempts to uh, co-opt people or to infiltrate uh, our, our, our agencies here uh, within the district. 
And one final thing I'd like to ask about the, the community. You have said, and, and I appreciate this and can understand this having been here for a few years, uh, and also having had the opportunity to participate in the, the, the WFO Citizens Academy mm-hmm. ancient years ago. But um, it seems to me now, just based on the things that are happening in our communities, carjackings, murders, assaults, burglaries, um, there's a lot more of all of that. And at the same time, you have this relationship in communities with police that aren't what they used to be because of what happened after George Floyd. They were unfairly, all police, a lot of police were unfairly targeted because of what a few did. And it takes a while for that kind of relationship to heal and get back to where it needs to be. So a lot of people have suggested to me that it's really kind of up to people in the communities now to take on some of the prevention um, and and stopping crime and in helping more with solving crime. So do you, in your travels and in your understanding and engagement with people, do you get the sense that most folks realize this now, or is this something that we in the media need to take the message to about right now? You know, I hope they do, but it would probably serve us all well if the media did carry that message, that these problems will not be solved by any one agency, one organization, one neighborhood group. It's going to take all of us across these communities to make a real impact. We have certain resources and certain capabilities and a, a certain mandate uh, to investigate crime. We, we focus in certain areas. We are certainly very concerned with violent crime, especially gun-related violent crime. Uh, but it, it is absolutely um, essential that members of the communities that that are being victimized by these violent gun crimes, that they're willing to discuss these matters, to come forward to whether they're victims or witnesses or simply have information that we can work with. Uh, it is going to be those relationships, that willingness to work together, that helps us with the scourge of violence across our communities, particularly some of our urban communities that are hit so hard in this blight of gun violence. Thank you so much. I know you uh, have a lot of other things to do aside from talking to the press, but I appreciate your taking some time to talk today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I really, I really appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, back to Ukraine and the war. The terrorist state Russia has launched during the last 24 hours another series of Iranian drone attacks on Ukraine and a missile strike on the city of Zaporizhia. New weapons, new targets, new thoughts about where this war is going. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at wtop.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast.